Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Olivia DeBercier. And I'm Sophia Osborne. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash beyondblathers. Also, just a quick reminder that you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. So if you happen to be listening to us on there, just go ahead and give us a little rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can review us too. So definitely do that. We would love it. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Okay, cool. So this week, Sophia is going to be telling us all about muscles. Yes, I really feel like I had to do muscles at some point because I am the biggest fan of muscles, but I don't or didn't know very much about them as animals, but I do know a lot about them and how tasty they are. (laughs) (laughs) They are like my favorite food ever. So yeah, I just thought it was would be cool to do because I know I've covered a few marine species on here that are eaten in Asia and that Olivia and I have never tried, but as someone who lives in Vancouver and eats mussels literally like as often as I can, I feel very (laughs) confident talking about them culinarily, at least. (laughs) Yeah, you're definitely like our culinary expert on the show. You've done like all the good eats. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like Animal Crossing cookbook. Ooh, that'd be cool. Your next thing. Yes. Okay, well, I'm I'm really excited to hear all about it. But before we get into it, of course, we have to see what Blathers has to say. So if you bring a muscle to Blathers, he'll say, Did you know the muscle has a beard? Ooh, it's true. Well, partially true anyway. Muscles have a special gland that secretes a thing called byssus, or bisal thread. They use these tough beard-like fibers to anchor themselves to rocks and keep themselves in place. So you see, the muscle's beard is functional rather than merely stylish. Then again, perhaps all beards should be this way. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the beard because it's very interesting to me. Like, my family had muscles for dinner right before Christmas, and my mom was preparing them. And it's like, if you've ever prepared muscles before, they do have this kind of beard of like, it's like almost like tangled threads that you have to pull off of them when you're cleaning them before you cook them. Are they kind of like roots? Like I'm imagining like roots hanging off of a muscle. They're thinner than roots. They look a lot more like, yeah, like thread or hair. Um, Actually, Olivia, did you know that people used to use the threads from the beard to make textiles like garments and stuff like that, which is really cool. I want, I wish I had a garment made out of muscle beard. (laughs) Like like a tote bag. Yes. Like a, like a muscle beard tote bag. <laughs> or a muscle beard muscle shirt. Yes. It could be a cool like re- reusable sustainable material. The new bamboo. Yes. So. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. But it's funny. It's like if you've only ever eaten muscles and never prepared them, you've probably never seen this beard before. It's kind of, it's kind of weird looking, but. Yeah, we'll we'll get into it in a bit here, but first I wanted to talk a bit about the taxonomy and the appearance. So mussels is actually a broad name, like a broad common name that doesn't fully refer to one specific family of animals. 
it's used for a few different families of bivalve mollusks. So to dive into that a bit, because I really don't know my taxonomy and I just kind of wanted to like (laughs) place them in like a tree. So mollusks or mollusca is the second largest phylum of invertebrates after arthropoda, which is pretty cool. So lots of things are mollusks like snails and octopi and mussels and clams and things like that. And then bivalves or bivalvia is a class within the mollusks that is defined by having a body enclosed by a shell that is made up of two parts with a hinge in the middle. So that's like clams, oysters, scallops, and mussels. It makes me think of those little, like, like the actual Polly Pockets, like the ones that come in the little, like... <laughs> the little pocket, yeah, like the purse one. the purse or, like, clamshell kind of thing. Oh, how cute, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah, so when we talk about bivalve mollusks, that's what we're talking about. So, yeah, I hope that helps set the scene a bit. So then going back to what we call mussels... What makes them all similar is that they have an elongated asymmetrical shell. So think of something like a clam that has quite a symmetrical round shell versus a mussel, which if you look at it, it definitely has like a distinct asymmetrical shape that almost looks like a weird capital letter D or something. <laughs> mm. Trying to describe what that looks like, but it's <laughs> it is like it's asymmetrical. It's not like a perfect circle. And a lot of the times when people talk about mussels, they're talking about the family Mytilidae. And these are your classic mussels that you find along the shoreline in the intertidal zone and which have that beard that Blathers was talking about. So these would be the mussels that I'm most familiar with living here in Vancouver. But there are also some freshwater bivalves that we call mussels, like the freshwater pearl mussels. And then you've probably heard of zebra mussels, which are a very invasive species that's wreaking a lot of havoc these days. And those are in a family called Dreacinidae, which aren't actually related to true mussels at all, but we still call them mussels. So yeah, muscle taxonomy is quite like complicated and diverse and it's mostly based on appearance and not actually based on like relation. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought they were just that different from each other because like different families is kind of a big deal if you're talking taxonomically like those are pretty different animals that's like the difference between the canine family versus the the feline family like they can be quite different yeah I guess it's really just like a common name that we're like oh yeah those are muscles but we don't really mean it in a scientific way that they're muscles where can you find mussels then? So you said you can find some in the intertidal zone, but can you also get them in freshwater environments? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, I'm most familiar with marine mussels, which can be found in the low and mid intertidal zones around the world. And they're quite abundant in temperate waters, which you probably know if you live along the coast in a temperate place. I really feel like they're everywhere here in Vancouver, you know, like on the side of boats and docks and yeah along the shoreline and everything it just feels like there's a huge abundance of them like barnacles or something Mm -hmm. but then there are some species of marine mussels that live in tropical waters but they're just not as abundant and there are actually some really cool species of mussels that live in i guess warmer places i don't know if the mediterranean is like 
considered tropical. I guess not, but it's it's warmer than Vancouver. Um, yeah, <laughs> and just a bit. Yeah, and I was reading about a really cool muscle called the fan muscle, which can be found in the Mediterranean Sea, and these can grow to be over a meter tall, which is almost four feet. So that's like almost as tall as me, kind of. Yeah, people were saying they're like skateboard size, so pretty cool. And if you look up photos of them, they stick straight up out of the ground and they kind of look like Big Bird is buried in the sand and just like his beak (laughs) is sticking up. (laughs) And they can live for 50 years, which is amazing. But unfortunately, they've started dying off at a really rapid rate from a new parasite that was introduced to the Mediterranean Sea by ships. And I read this really interesting article in Science Magazine about a group of biologists who are attempting to save the fan muscle by trying to find survivors who are immune to the parasite and at least trying to breed them in captivity. Wow, that is so interesting. I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah, I didn't really know that there were there was this much diversity in muscles and like the sizes they can be. And fan muscles are really cool because they've been really important for a long time. Artisans used to carve buttons out of their shells and weave garments from their beards like we were talking about. But like these would be pretty impressive beards. And in the Eastern Mediterranean, their flesh was and is still considered a delicacy, even though it's illegal to harvest them now. But some people still do just to have this like exotic delicacy. But it's a it's a sad story because they were actually starting to recover in the 1990s from all this over harvesting and pollution But then this new parasite has come in and just totally decimated them. Like this story in science that I was reading was so sad because it had these these scientists who were like going out to go look for them and they just could not find a single one anywhere. Like they just practically don't exist anymore. So yeah, I, I wanted to highlight them and share their story. And I think we should petition Animal Crossing to add fan muscles to the game. I agree. That's that's really sad. I that. Man, it's it's hard enough to hear about species that are having a hard time in the wild, but it's even harder to hear a success story like fall apart. Like that's ugh, that's real heartbreaking. Yeah, it's scary. It made me think of the humpback whales here around Vancouver that have like really, really rebounded after being decimated by whaling, and they're finally coming back in large numbers. But this made me scared, like, that there could be some disease in the future or something that would totally decimate them. I mean, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But, like, it just has that kind of feeling where it's, like, this success story that can turn sour quickly. Yeah, and it's it's important to remember, like, that's a big reason why you'll find people fighting against downlisting species from, like, endangered to threatened because – just because something is downlisted doesn't mean it's suddenly going to be okay forever. Like, right. and you can like lose a lot of protections for a species. So, anyway, we're getting off topic though. <laughs> but that's that's so interesting. But I think we really have to talk about the beard. Like, can can we talk more about this? Yeah, definitely. These like <laughs> filaments. Yeah. So this like glue beard thing is. I think it's really interesting if you think about, I guess, just how strong it would need to be. So when you picture a muscle, you're probably picturing a blue muscle, which is also known as the common muscle. And blue muscles just spend their days, you know, in the intertidal zone, 
like on some rock (laughs) getting absolutely pounded and thrashed by the ocean, yet they're able to hold themselves onto the substrate so securely by this beard, as Blathers mentioned. And the beard is made up of what's called, as Olivia slash Blathers said, bisal (laughs) threads. And at the end of each thread is a disc-shaped plaque that acts as an underwater glue. And if you've listened to episodes by me before, you probably know that we're going to talk about like bio-inspired engineering. So (laughs) let's get into it. The really cool thing is that there was actually a breakthrough about this glue in fall 2021. So very recently, that was the culmination of 10 years of research from a group of scientists at McGill University here in Canada. Basically, up until now, scientists didn't really know how this glue was produced because it was all happening inside the muscle's foot, which when I read that, then I got confused because I was like, is the foot the thing that they are holding on to the substrate with? But it's not. It's like a little organ that the muscles have that they can like poke out of their shell and use to pull themselves around in the sand. But the but the beard is the thing with the glue. But they produce the glue in the foot. It's, it's kind of confusing, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, basically, scientists didn't know how the glue was produced because they couldn't, you know, see through the foot, and so they didn't know what was happening inside of there. But these McGill scientists used advanced spectroscopic and microscopic techniques to figure out what exactly is going on inside the foot that makes this impressive superglue. And it turns out that within the muscle foot, there are tiny, tiny channels which funnel the substances that come together to make the glue. And basically what happens is that fluid proteins are combined with metal ions that the muscle takes up from the seawater. And these metal ions harden the fluid proteins into a solid glue. And they can do this whole process and produce the glue in just two to three minutes. Oh. Yeah, as I like sort of hinted at, this is really interesting to scientists because it would be great if we could make you know, really strong glue that works underwater. So definitely scientists and engineers are looking at this kind of biology technology. That's so cool. It honestly sounds like they're welding themselves to the substrate. Yeah. Like the idea of using metal in your (laughs) biological glue. Yeah. that's, That's like very superhero energy. Like, oh, how cool. I know. It's such a cool adaptation. And- Okay, so we talked a bit about the fan muscle being endangered. So how about the other muscles? How are they doing in terms of conservation? Yeah, so this is like a funny one where, as I said before, I'd seen so many marine muscles around. And then you hear all the time about invasive muscles like the zebra muscle. And so I kind of assumed that the issue was that we have too many muscles <laughs> and that they're doing like too well. Like, But that's actually... <laughs> not the case at all when it comes to freshwater mussels which i talked a bit about in the sort of taxonomy talk freshwater mussels are doing really 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 not well (laughs) so in north america alone 30 freshwater mussel species have gone extinct over the last century and almost 70 percent of those surviving are considered endangered threatened or vulnerable So yeah, this is a real problem because freshwater mussels are so, so important for ecosystems. Wow, that's that's crazy. 30 mussel species in 100 years. 
And that's just in North America. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I'm just like rereading the script <laughs> and I'm shook again <laughs> by this stat. Yeah. Oh. I had no idea because like zebra mussels are freshwater, right? So I assumed like, oh, freshwater mussels are thriving or something. But as we talked about, zebra mussels aren't really true mussels at all. And we'll kind of get into zebra mussels in a bit. But yeah, it's the story is really different, I think, than probably a lot of people think. And I did find like some great journalistic articles about how endangered freshwater mussels are and how important it is to save them and everything. But like, this isn't really something that I had heard about. Like, I don't think we're talking about this enough. And like, talk about an uncharismatic species. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's that's a hard one to, to market uh, in general. Totally. Like, and people like, people enjoy eating mussels, but those aren't the freshwater mussels. So, you know, there's lots of aquaculture going on, like for marine mussels that we eat, but no one, or I mean, there are scientists who are trying to like save the freshwater mussels, but I don't think most people care. I mean, like I've never heard of this issue and I'm like, like an environmental science student. Like I have a degree in this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there's mussel species in Canada and Alberta that I've never heard of before. And like, I like wetlands and I like hanging out around wetlands and I've never heard of this. So yeah. Dang. Well, let's talk a bit about why mussels are so important in freshwater ecosystems and why the way that they're being decimated is like a huge, huge problem. So if there's one thing that I think people generally know about mussels, it's that they're filter feeders. And this means that they're always filtering the water, making it cleaner for other animals and plants and helping to cycle nutrients. And a study of the upper Mississippi River found that the relatively healthy mussel population there filters more than 14 billion gallons of water daily. Like, that is wild. So, yeah, just the fact that, you know, rivers are losing these really, really important filterers, basically just like the base of the ecosystem is a huge problem. And as we talked about, it's it's not a glamorous problem, but it it's very real. Yeah. And it affects us deeply. Like if we are talking about ecosystem services, this is like one of the most obvious ecosystem services that animals can present to humans, at least if we're talking with the humans, human centric view yeah. here, like they are cleaning our water for free. Like, <laughs> it's great. And they're probably like, and that affects the fish populations. So like, mm-hmm. we're talking fisheries here. That's a massive impact. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. So what is causing this decline? Is it the usual culprits? Yeah. I mean, it it is. But I think one thing we can talk about here is dams, which are an issue for like a lot of species. But for freshwater mussels, it is a huge issue. It seems to be kind of the main issue for freshwater mussels. So the context for this is that freshwater mussels spend most of their lives buried in stream beds that can hold thousands of mussels. And the mussels can get really big, like the size of a baseball. And some of them are really long-lived. Like some species live to be over 100, which I had no idea about. Like that's so cool. But for mussels in this freshwater environments, it's really important for them to be in shallower flowing water. 
So when a river gets dammed, the water becomes deeper, colder, and more oxygen poor. And this is not a good fit for these muscles. This is not what they were adapted for. And then there's another big effect of these dams. But to talk about that, we need to first talk a bit about how these freshwater muscles reproduce, which I think is just a really fun, interesting fact. So I want to talk about it anyway. But basically what happens is that each female muscle produces millions of larvae called glochidia. And in some muscle species, these bundles of larvae will be disguised as prey for a fish. And I saw this photo. So this one species, the Wichita kidney shell mussel, packages its larvae in a membrane that looks like a little fish. Like if you see a picture of it, you'll, you're just like, oh yeah, it's a little fish, but it's actually a membrane holding all these larvae. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, that's so wild. Yeah, so it looks like a little prey fish, but then when a real fish eats it, that bursts the membrane and it releases all the larvae like inside the fish and the larvae will go live in the fish's gills. And this allows them to catch a ride upstream because the fish can swim upstream, but mussels can't. So yeah, this lets the mussels spread into upstream areas. That is one of the coolest adaptations I've heard in a long time. I know. I, I, I love that. Yeah, I read that like it probably came from like, so, so, so long ago, like in one of their ancestors or something. But it sounds like there's a lot of different like disguises and kind of ways that they kind of trick the fish. This gives me like magic school bus vibes. Like yeah. <laughs> when they like disguise the bus as a fish. <laughs> but yes. there's a bunch of children inside and then... I don't know. That's that's what I'm imagining here. That's exactly it. But unfortunately, coming back to the dams, when the dams are put in place and cut off the ability of fish to move upstream, it also cuts off mussels from moving upstream too. So just bad vibes all around. (laughs) That's not good. Yeah. Man, dams are so complex. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I mostly hear the bad. I know there's some good... But, oh, And there are just so many dams. Like, it's not like there's just like, oh, one dam or whatever. It's like we have completely changed the, I don't know, what is that called? Like the river landscape. The, the like of, hydrological system. Yeah, exactly. We're going to be fancy. And then we get like really angry at beavers for doing the exact <laughs> same thing. We're yeah. like, ah, oh, beaver is blocking this culvert. <laughs> we got to kill it. <laughs> And the beavers just come back. Or like, oh, so many people in like relentless wars with beavers. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Are there other threats besides the dams? Yeah, definitely there are. Like water getting diverted in general by humans can dry out streams and kill off mussels like by revealing them or making the water too shallow and warm. And then... You know, water pollution from industrial waste, sewage plants, agricultural runoff, and all that fun stuff can kill them, which is, I guess, uh, a feedback loop because they help filter these pollutions out. And so when they're killed, it's more and more polluted. Yeah. And then invasive species are also an issue. And this can include non-native zebra and quagga mussels and other types of non-native mussels, which can outcompete native mussels. 
And then the thing about zebra mussels is that they also stick to native mussels. So that can kill them too. So it just feels like there's a lot stacked against these freshwater mussels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I did want to kind of leave it on a hopeful note and (laughs) say that there is hope that we could manage these dams in a way that's actually conscious of mussels and like what they need. And that could prevent some of these issues. And even though it does feel like freshwater mussels aren't being talked about enough and everything, there are scientists who care about it and there are efforts going on to try to restore mussel populations. And one that I thought was really cool is a project by an ecologist named Danielle Krieger and her team who are deploying lots of common mussels into these river ecosystems to improve the whole ecosystem's health. Because like I said, it's like, it's hard to kind of restore all these like endangered mussel populations if everything is really polluted and everything. So like these common mussels mm-hmm. can kind of come in and hopefully clean things up. Are they sort of more generalists? Like they they do bet like they're kind of flexible to the environment more so than other native mussels? Yeah, like they're choosing ones that seem to still be doing okay in these areas and trying to like breed them and bring them in. So yeah, that's that's kind of a hopeful project. And I really liked this quote from Krieger in a great article that I read from Knowable Magazine. She said, if your system had a muscle population historically and no longer does, I'm not convinced it's healthy until you have your natural muscle community back, which I just, mm. I really liked that. And I think it was, it's a good kind of way to sum up like, we have to get our natural muscle communities back. I I like that. So in conclusion, mussels is the common name for a really diverse group of different animals. Some of them have beards made of luxurious bisel threads that secure them with super glue to the substrate, and they are very important for keeping our water clean. Almost 70% of freshwater mussels are facing trouble, and we need to be considering them a lot more if we want healthy freshwater ecosystems. All hail the mussel. I love it. If I can give a little plug, I've got uh, an individual action people can take, and that is make sure that if you are a boater or someone who does any kind of water sport or activity and you're moving between lakes or water bodies of any kind, always, always, always make sure that you have washed off the bottom of your boat or whatever goes in the water and that there's no sand and, and no gunk on the bottom of your boats or your water skis or your paddle boards or whatever, because that can prevent invasive species from spreading. So yes. always remember to do that. Definitely. Things like the zebra mussel are like tenacious. Mm-hmm. And like if if you want details, like just Google it. I guarantee that your local government has some sort of public health messaging (laughs) surrounding it so yeah uh i don't i can't remember the alberta one it's like be a responsible boater i don't i don't (laughs) remember anyway (laughs) there's there's posters there's there's marketing around it totally well thanks so much sophia i i really didn't know most of that that was really interesting so thank you for that and thanks everyone for listening i really love when we have an episode on a creature that totally surprises me Mm -hmm. so that was really cool 
Anyway, so don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at beyond blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.